Get 0% interest for 48 months on any replacement project right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Our experts complete the installation with no hassle or mess, leaving only perfect results. Schedule your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. One of our listeners says, who follows me on Twitter, and you can follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620, sends me a note saying, hey, I saw from your Twitter account that you went to the Florentine Opera on, on Friday. Um, cause I, cause I posted that and I said, yeah, I, I did. Um, they, they performed Romeo and Juliet at the, it was at the, what I call the performing arts center where they call it the Marcus center, whatever. And it was just, it was just an absolutely amazing show. It was uh, incredibly entertaining and the, the symphony played. And I understand maybe it's a little bit outside my lane, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. And one of my very dear friends runs the Florentine Opera and said it was going to be a great show, and it absolutely was. So the the, the texter anyhow said, "Well, Jeff, I'm that, that must mean if you if you went to that show on Friday night, said you must really love your wife. Well, I do really love my wife, but at the same time, my response was the Florentine Opera that I saw on Friday, Romeo and Juliet, much, much, much more entertaining than the Packers game on Sunday. What?" A dog. Um, we, my um, stepdaughter and son-in-law were at the game together with my brother and sister-in-law. They went separately, and and I, I sent them a note at the middle of it saying, "Well, okay, the the deal here is um, I'm I was sitting at a bar in Cedarburg, and there were two dollar beers and really good free homemade nachos at uh, at halftime, and I, I think everybody pretty much decided that I was the winner there, as opposed to everybody that paid full price for the tickets. The interesting thing that I am told is that by by the middle of the fourth quarter, Lambeau Field was at least half empty. People were telling me that towards the end of the third quarter, the, the rush to the stands was starting, and it just continued. And this this is a Packer team that is just a, a mess. The national headlines said Aaron Rodgers, and I agree, it said Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady both looked really old and really cranky. And I think there's some elements of that. It's still early, only six games into the season, but this team right now is just an absolute hot mess. Just no question about it. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to be a Packers fan or things like that, but it's looking like the team is poorly constructed and they're not playing well and Aaron Rodgers looking really old and doesn't have anybody to throw the ball to because nobody's open. That's not stopping him from throwing the ball and the line's bad and the defense is supposed to be great, but they're just getting carved up. I I, I mean, you can come back. You, you can, but... If the guess was, are they more likely right now to finish the season, oh, I don't know, 11 and 6 versus like 8 and 9? I think you can make a strong argument 8 and 9. But time will tell. All right. Did you ever, did you ever watch mob movies like, or, or the TV show like The Sopranos and stuff and things like that? One of the things that the mob was really good at is that they'd infiltrate certain industries, whether it was garbage industry or construction industry or whatever. And what they do is they'd arrange for what they call no-show jobs. What this would be is you'd have like a, a mobster who would be put on the payroll 
of, I don't know, some outfit, and they would never show up, they would never do work, but they'd get salaries every week, and that was kind of the the way then the mobster would have, oh, some sort of uh, income that they could end up showing the the, the government, even though they weren't really doing anything. It was kind of like these no-show jobs. Typically, it is something that that is, I mean, of course, it's very illegal, and it's handled, again, you know, when you're looking at investigating organized crime, that's one of the things that you deal with. Now, this is not a criminal act. It's not a criminal act, but it is apparently the Sopranos equivalent when it comes to Wisconsin state government. Story in the Journal Sentinel, and it's one of these just sort of amazing head-scratching things about how could this go on? And then you understand, well, it's it's government. Freshman Milwaukee County supervisor fired from job as legislative aide to state representative Sylvia Ortez Velez. Milwaukee County Supervisor Diango Zerpa was fired as a legislative assistant to State Representative or Silvio Ortez Velez after failing to show up for work at the Capitol while she was often busy spending time with her dying sister. Uh, the representative estimated Zerpa had been at work in Madison between five and seven times over the course of 20 weeks earlier this year. So let's see, 20 weeks, five days a week, that's like 100 work days. And she estimates that he'd been in the office like five to seven times, despite a requirement that he be there once or twice a week. You know, she then says, um, he then says, well, when he was fired in July, it took him by surprise. He, He was shocked that he was being fired for not showing up. So he gets elected to the county board earlier this year. Um, And so, you know, he says they had this deal where since he was elected to the county board, he'd be able to work remotely. And she said, well, okay, yeah, we we said that he could work remotely, but I still told him he he had to go into work like once or twice a week. And as she says, my sister died in May, so I was spending, you know, more time away from the office, which is why I, I needed him there more and more. She says she went on Facebook and she said she saw posts on his Facebook page and his girlfriend's page that looked like he was on vacation. In text messages, he acknowledged to the state rep that he had not been at the Capitol for a couple weeks when she asked him about the mail that had been piling up. You've told me to work from the office on a regular basis before, and I apologize that I have not followed these instructions. He also wrote that he had usually gone to Madison at least once a week, but had lately stopped doing that and worked remotely. He cited the purchase of plane tickets and gas prices as reasons he had postponed trips to the Madison office. He cited the purchase of plane tickets and gas prices as reasons he had postponed to trips to the Madison office. Okay, by the way, the guy made $48,000 a year, $48,372 a year, and his response is, well, I had to buy plane tickets, and then the price of gas is going up, so I couldn't go to Madison once or twice a week, and you'll go to your office and answer the phones and pick up the mail and things like that. Um, interestingly, then the guy that got fired said, well, working for her was a hostile work environment. And I was concerned with her mental health and well-being. This is one of these interesting things that happens a lot in the area of employment law. When you have an employee that is shown the door or whatever, then then all of a sudden it's, well, gee, this was a hostile work environment. Well, I don't know how he would know it was a hostile work environment because he wasn't in the office at all. I mean, seriously, you just kind of like stop 
going in. Uh, in any event, he, he's now been sacked. This, this story is kind of coming up. But I, I just, it's amazing to me because it, it's really only in the real world. It, it's only a function of government. Can you imagine, think about your workplace. And if you, you know, you're a supervisor and the requirement is, okay, you, you got you to gotta show up at work. I understand people work remotely all the time. I get it. There's, I have no problem with that at all. But if the deal is, okay, I, I need you to come in once or twice a week at, at, at a minimum. I need you there once or twice a week. I need you to answer the mail, pick up the mail, do all that sort of stuff. And you just decide you're not going to come in week after week after week after week. At a certain point, there's going to be somebody that says, fine, you're gone. Now, in this particular case, it took the better part of almost five months before they, they took action in this particular case. So the, the guy was pulling in $47,000 for, quote, unquote, working remotely, but it's unclear what remote work he ever did. In any event, you want to work for the government. It's good work if you can get it. And... Even sometimes you don't even have to show up. It turns out to be kind of like a no-show job. Unreal. When we come back, what was the guy supposed to do? I'll share the story and we'll discuss. Okay, so here's the story. I want to get your reaction to it. This is making the rounds on social media, and it's found its way onto Channel 12 and Channel 6. It happened a week ago, Monday. So what's occurring is... There, there's this this video. Guy's driving down the street, and he's it's like South 25th Street on Monday, and he sees that there is an older white man who is restraining a younger black man um, in, in the middle of the street, and he's kind of got him. He's sort of holding him around the neck, and he's holding his bicycle. And so the man driving the car— stops the car because he, he sees that the guy is restraining. The, the one, I'm going to call him the kid, he's a young man, he's being restrained by the older white man, and he's being held by the neck. And so the guy gets out of his car, and he, he starts filming it. He goes up there and he says, I, I intervened as, as quickly as possible to figure out what was going on. He said it didn't look right that the older man was holding the younger man's bike back and prevented him from leaving. Okay, so that's the that's the deal. The guy who is restraining the younger person, which appears to be a juvenile, he says, "Look, this the, here here here's what's going on. The kid's buddy just stole a bike out of my my neighbor's yard. And I, I saw this, and I, and I'm holding him. I, I'm I'm holding him till we find out, you know, exactly what happened. So." The guy who's got the videotape, who's got the phone out there, he's saying, oh, you, you can't hold him, et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, nothing really comes of this because it, it's not like it's an assault. It's not like the kid is injured. Presumably, the guy who is detaining the kid whose buddy stole the bike, allegedly, ends up letting him go. He's not in the hospital or anything like that. There, there's apparently, according to the police report, there's you know no no report of a bike being stolen, but of course, you know this is Milwaukee, where you know, it's you know like you're gonna you report your bike stolen, like the cops are gonna be doing much about that. But anyhow, this video has now gone viral, and you have some of the usual suspects who are now protesting outside the home of the man who restrained the kid 
who, again, his buddies, you know, they, they allegedly stole a bike. That That's what's going on. And one of the community activists says, well, you know, we're going to protest outside the home of the guy in the video. He's clearly a dangerous person. Stuff like this is happening all over the country. People playing vigilante. We don't want this type of stuff happening here in Milwaukee. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Okay, so let, let, us, let us tee this up. Let's say you're on the block. You see a couple juveniles who just steal, a, and we'll, we'll assume this for the sake of argument, steal a bicycle out of your neighbor's yard, and they're trying to get away. And you're able to you know, intervene. You're able to grab one of the kids who, I mean, he's not riding a stolen bike, but it's, it's one of his buddies, allegedly, who's been involved in, in stealing the bike. You're able to grab him and hold on to him. You've got his bike. You've got you know him, and he's being restrained. I mean, they're not choking him out. He's not down on the ground, but he's holding him by the scruff of the neck and then around the, the front of the neck. Kid's not going anywhere at all. All right, is the person who's restraining the kid, whose buddy was involved in stealing the bike, allegedly, I mean, what's he to do? Is it just supposed to, is that an act of vigilantism, or is it an act of, I don't know, trying to, you know, maybe, just maybe, you know, catch some people who are committing crimes on your block. Is he supposed to just let the kid drive away? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. How do you how do you handle this? Because I guess you could let the kids drive away. They've right away. They've stolen your, your neighbor's bicycle. You've watched it happen. And you could call the cops, I guess. And you could say, well, I, I saw these kids. I don't know who they are. They, they stole the bike. And I'm sure the police would do a report. He, he's, he's clearly holding on. He is restraining the kid. 855-616-1620. Is he supposed to just let him drive off? What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Interesting text line exploding on this issue. Jeff, I, I I don't think that the neighbor did anything wrong. He deserves a medal. I think the cops are never around, you know, anywhere. Jeff, it's the neighborhood. It's not Mayberry, and you need to be tougher than Wally and the Beaver. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, a vigilante performs the function of apprehension, judge, jury, and executioner. The first activity is citizen's arrest and subject to local law, whatever that is. Well, all right, it's, if you, I mean, here, I guess here's, here's the story. Let, let's, let's just assume it's not a bike. Let's assume you come out to your driveway and you see three guys that are breaking into your car, three juveniles that are trying to steal your car. You go, hey, what are you doing? They try to run away. You grab one of them, hold them. You know, you, you detain them. You're holding your bike. You're holding them around the throat. And it turns out to be a juvenile. All right. Are, are you in the wrong by detaining them in this fashion? Now, somebody texts and says, well, there's never an excuse for an adult to, you know, grab a child around the throat. Well, okay. I mean, is that it? It's what, what do you do? In this situation, do you just let them ride off? And look, and, and I don't know about whether or not the kid's buddy stole the bike or not. It could be that the guy was holding the one and, and made an incorrect assumption about that. But is it really, oh, this guy's a dangerous person because he restrained the, the kids? I guess my question is, if if that's the situation, 
You know, well, one of our texters says, unfortunately, criminals count on the fact that no one can stop them anymore. Make no mistake, they are criminals. And again, I, I don't know. This this kid could have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And and just he and his buddies could have had no part in, in this theft at all. I, but, it, but it doesn't does it make any difference? And is the homeowner, oh, we're going to have all these protests outside the homeowner's home because he restrained the kid. You know, wouldn't it be just as productive or maybe even more so? If you're going to have protests, maybe protest the fact that you've got this crime-ridden neighborhood where people are stealing bicycles out of other people's yards. Just asking. Let's start with Greg in Cedar Grove. Greg, you're on WTMJ. I'm sorry. Greg in Cedar Grove. Greg, go ahead. Hi, yeah. Times, they have a changed. Um, I was telling your screener that when I grew up, you know, I lived on Titonia in Silver Spring, and uh, we had bicycles, and we left them in the yard. We didn't chain them up, and uh, the bikes actually got stolen. And my dad seen the kids walking across the street with the bikes. He went across the street and grabbed the kid, and he held him there until the cops came. The cops came. They questioned him. He was in the wrong. They took the kid away. End of story. Well, well, right. And I guess that's and, – and if it turns out that you hold the kid and the, the cops come and it turns out he had nothing to do with, with the bike theft or whatever, they, okay, they, they just let him go. You say, okay, you're, we're, we're sorry about this, but you don't have all these quote-unquote activists that are protesting outside the house complaining about it. It's like, all right, I, I thought Hillary said it takes a village. You know, it, it isn't, isn't that yeah. what this is really doing? See something, say something. I guess you, you could call the cops, but let, let's face it, as a practical matter – Bicycle theft out of a yard is such a low priority that you're you're never going to get a handle on it if you do that. That would just be an exercise in futility. Yeah, exactly, Jeff, and I agree. No, thanks for calling. Now, again, I you you could take it too far. There, there's a story out of out of Baraboo. We haven't talked about it yet. Where you have these kids that were involved in like TPing this neighborhood, and you have um, a, a couple of the neighbors. One comes out with like a propane torch. They force the kids out of that car. You know, they get them on on their hands and knees, or they get them on their knees and they detain them. Oh, okay, that's and. You can. This has now created this huge. Oh, we're going to have a federal civil rights violation because one of them was Native American or whatever. That that's that's not what this is. This is a guy who sees what he says is this kid's friend stealing a bike. He's trying to detain him. He's got his cell phone there. He's not beating up the kid, but he's holding him. He's holding him around the throat. There's no question about it because the kid is trying to get away. And you know he's I think in the process of getting ready to call the the police. If you can't do that, we, we might as well just say that let's just let, let's just allow everybody to be victims. Could the guy have gone overboard? Could he have if he if the story was he's wrestled the kid to the ground and he's got him pinned and he's got his knee on the kid's back? Oh, okay, I I, I understand that. But he, he's holding him. Now, admittedly, he's restraining him, but the kid's not going to the hospital. There's no harm. There's no foul here. But yet you have protesters that are incensed about that. I just wish some of these protesters would be as incensed about, oh, the 12-year-old girl that gets guns down. By the way, they still haven't arrested any of the no-good slugs that ended up killing that little 12-year-old girl. They are still at large. I just wish some of these so-called community activists would be as outraged about that as they are about stories like this. Two counties, two different outcomes. All right, here's the story as reported by Fox 6. Four 
well, hang on, all four people were taken into custody Sunday morning, October 16th. So this would be yesterday morning. Um, this happened um, a little bit after 2 a.m. Four people taken into custody Sunday morning, October 16th, following a police chase that began near 28th and Melvina and ended near 14th and Valite. Officials say the chase began around 2 a.m. after a vehicle was stolen in an armed robbery about three hours earlier. So this isn't just a car theft. This is an armed robbery. This is an armed carjacking, okay? Firearm ended up being recovered. So the the police, they, they see this car that was stolen in the armed robbery. They chase. They end up, you know, catching the people. They took um, four people into custody. Three boys, ages 14, 15, and 17, and a 16-year-old girl. I thought we had a curfew in the city of Milwaukee. I I thought that, you know, we we had a curfew that, you know, parents, you're supposed to know where your children are after 10 o'clock at night or or whatever. Apparently not. So here's the deal. You have an armed robbery that occurs, an armed carjacking that occurs uh, sometime before midnight Saturday night. The kids are driving around in the car that they have carjacked. And then when the cops pull them over, they do the police chase. They find the gun. Four kids, 14, 15, and 17-year-old boys and a 16-year-old girl. 14 and 15-year-olds driving around, stealing cars at gunpoint, and then, of course, fleeing from the police. Uh, Charges are pending review by the district attorney's office. So don't, don't know what's happened to them. They said the individuals taken into custody were taken to a hospital as a precaution. Oh, the poor little darlings tried to flee in a high speed chase. So the the DA's office is, is looking at it. And my guess is that the kids, well, my guess, guess is that all of them are going to be back out on the street today. That would be my guess. And the chances of having any of them waved into adult court are probably slim to none, and slim is getting on a bus out of town. So that's that's Milwaukee. All right, here's the other story, also on Fox 6. Waukesha attempted carjacking, police chase, four teens charged. Four Milwaukee teens are accused of attempted armed carjacking and other crimes after a Waukesha incident led to a police chase on October 12th. So that would be last Wednesday. Police were called to a gas station near West Avenue and Sunset Drive around 5.30 p.m. that day for a reported armed robbery in progress. A customer asked an employee to call 911 because two people had tried to steal his car at gunpoint. So, again, same sort of thing, armed carjacking. Per the criminal complaint, the two people got into the victim's car and tried to flee. Hey, buddy, get out of your car. And they, they, so they do it at gunpoint, but were unsuccessful because the victim had the key fob in his pocket. The victim said that at least one more person was acting as a getaway driver, and they fled in a silver car. All right, so you get the idea. You've got, you know, there, there's the, the getaway car. There's two guys with a gun. They try to jack somebody up at this gas station, and then because he's got the key fob in his pocket, they they can't drive away with the car. All right. Less than a mile from the gas station where the armed carjacking occurred, the complaint says police spotted the silver car in a Walmart parking lot. That's the car that you have the carjackers in. When officers pulled into the lot, the car sped away and a pursuit began. 
As the silver car sped away, it ran a red light and almost hit other vehicles. A passing train blocked West Avenue, and the silver car tried to turn onto Hoover, but crashed into a fire hydrant. It's like kind of the opening scene in Dirty Harry, you know, where the bank robbers are trying to get away. So they smashed into a fire hydrant. Four people got out of the car and ran. The complaint complaint states officers tried to hold the four at gunpoint, ordering them to show their hand. Um, The entirety of the chase was 1.1 miles. Three of the four hopped a barbed wire fence. The fourth person, identified as Isaiah McMurtry, ran through Mendiola Park, allegedly while carrying a gun. At the time, per the complaint, there were dozens of young children and families taking part in soccer games and practices. Police later arrested the other three, identifying them as Kajun Johnson, Isri Kazee, and Emmanuel Tubbins. Police say Kazee was the driver who fled. Tubbins was ultimately arrested with the assistance of a canine officer, which tried to bite him. <laughs> All right, so this is it. The dog is, like, trying to bite the guy. All right, so so you get the idea. This is an attempted carjacking. They flee from the police. They smash into a fire hydrant. They jump barbed wire. They're trying to run away. They all get caught. All right, so they have. there's three 18-year-olds and a 17-year-old. The three 18-year-olds have been charged with attempted armed robbery, um, attempted armed carjacking, obstruction. You get it. All four made initial appearances on Thursday. All right, this is a tale of two counties. Because if you do this in Milwaukee County, chances are you are going to be back out on the street um, just as fast as, as you could possibly imagine. Waukesha County, a different story. Johnson um, attempted armed robbery, attempted armed carjacking, obstructing an officer. Johnson's cash bond was set at $250,000. Kazee's at seventy at $175,000. McMurtry at 75000 and Tubbins at 300000 The complaint says Johnson told police that the four got in the car that day and they started talking about robbing people. However, he thought they'd just drive around and smoke weed. He said Tubbins had a gun. Johnson said they drove out to Waukesha looking for a nice car. Hmm, that, that's, that's it. The criminals from Milwaukee, they're going out to Waukesha to look for a nice car. Saw the victim's car at the gas station and decided to try to carjack him. He said he and Tubbins got out of the car and McMurtry and Kazee drove away. When they tried to start the car, they realized the key wasn't there, so they ran off. The car returned, picked them all up, and they fled. And then it, you know, confirms what they were doing. Because he admitted to police he was the driver during the police chase and at the time of the attempted armed robbery. He said they all made a dumb decision and their plan was to joyride and go back to Milwaukee and do stupid stuff. And so, you know, and it goes on and they pretty much all, you know, acknowledge that this is this. They drove out to Waukesha, try to find good cars to steal and, you know, engaged in the armed robbery. But the difference is. You get caught doing that in Waukesha. All four of them are presumably still in custody. Bails ranging from $75,000 to $300,000. And my guess is, unless Mandela Barnes gets his way and we eliminate cash bail, these four lowlifes who tried an armed carjacking and then fled the police, they're they're not going to be out on the street before trial. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, we, we know that there is a contrast. Do stuff like this in Milwaukee County, and 
again, chances are, I think, pretty good that unless you actually kill somebody or shoot somebody, you're going to be out on the street pretty quickly. Waukesha County clearly not taking this action with a sense of humor. Do these bails sound excessive to you? 855-616-1620. That is a WTMJ talk and text line. Clearly, Waukesha officials are trying to send a message that if you are a criminal in Milwaukee looking to come out to Waukesha County to steal nice cars at gunpoint and you get caught— there's not, they're not going to have a sense of humor about it. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I say, go Waukesha County officials. I, I am so happy to see this type of stuff being treated seriously and maybe send a message that you just can't do this. Part of the reason why we have so many carjackings and car thefts is there's a lot of criminals who've just decided nothing bad's going to happen to me. I'm going to get out on bail. There's not going to be a problem. Well, these four, at least in the short term, aren't going anywhere but back to the Waukesha County Jail while they await trial. Does this strike you as excessive? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Jeff, maybe this sends a message to the miscreants about heading out to Waukesha County. Um, Jeff, this happened in Cook County, which is Chicago, with DuPage County. Young thieves from Chicago stole from a, from a mall at DuPage, got caught, thought they would be set free like in Chicago. Instead, they were booked and retained and held on many charges. I mean, yeah, see, that's, that is... The, the difference. Um, Jeff, where are the prominent figures speaking out against and encouraging young people not to commit crimes? Well, that's that's not it. We'd, we'd rather protest outside the houses of people who, I don't know, are trying to hold the would-be criminals. Jeff, I think this bail is absolutely not excessive. Charge the parents as accessories also. Well, three of these guys were, were 18, so, I mean, that's not going to happen. Jeff, this was amount was not excessive. When I'm out buying gas, I want to feel safe. I want to feel like my property is safe. Nothing makes me feel safer knowing that absolutely guilty gun-toting criminals are going to remain behind bar as they await trial. Yeah, see, and that's where we've gotten away from this in Milwaukee County, where there's been, like, no consequence after no consequence. And keep in mind, Mandela Barnes wants to eliminate cash bail. If Mandela Barnes had his way, all four of these guys who were involved in the armed carjacking, they would be back out on the streets by, like, Thursday or Friday. Now, tell me how that makes anybody safer. Let's talk to George in Kenosha. George, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. What do you think? Excessive bail? I mean, Waukesha, the court commissioners. Okay, go ahead. No. Um, You know, this is one of those cases where I could see what people, you know, why Wisconsin has carry concealed. Um, If this person would have been carry concealed, would have been a totally different outcome. And then more than likely the person that was using the weapon to defend themselves and their property would get in trouble. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy system that's set up. It all seems like it's designed for the criminals. Well, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, I think and there is there is this perception like that. Look, I, I have I have no doubt. See, one of the reasons why juveniles steal car, cars in Milwaukee 
is they know that for all intents and purposes, nothing is going to happen to them. That's that's that, that's the Kia Boy video. That, that's what they're saying. You know, their chances of getting caught are slim to none. And then even if they do get caught, they're going to get slapped on the wrist. They'll spend a couple of days in juvie, and then they'll be turned loose. And if you don't think that's why people do this, well, it's because you, you know that there's no consequences for it. So now, in this case, only one of the four is a juvenile. But my guess is they're going to, uh, he's going to be waived into adult court as well, because Walker to its credit, is saying, look, we're not going to have this. We are not going to have a bleed over of this crime problem in Milwaukee, and we're going to treat it differently. If you come out here with the intention of sticking a gun in somebody's face while they're they're filling up with gas because they have the audacity to own a nice car, well, we're, we're, we're going to hold you. And you're going to just plan on on being in jail while you're awaiting trial. And then when you are convicted, well, you know what's going to happen next. And then you're going to go off to prison, presumably for a while. Jeff, I don't think the bail is excessive. If anything, maybe it should be higher. A clear message needs to be sent. That's from a concerned citizen in um, New Berlin. Well, right. Um, Jeff, I don't think it's excessive. And I think that's the way it should be in every county in uh, in Wisconsin. Well, I think that should be, you know, the, the attitude. I agree completely that's there. Jeff, I think it's the correct amount of bail. Also, do they have any previous brushes with the law? My guess, and it's just a guess, my guess is because the bail amounts are different, um, my guess is a couple of them probably do. I, I And look, I, I've said this before. I mean, I, I'm you know, you, we don't have access to juvenile records, which I think is just a, an absolute tragedy. Because you, you really have no idea of knowing, you know, how many times they've been through the juvenile justice system at it all, at all, if at all, and had their wrists slapped. But my guess is probably yes, because th- there's th- there's a variation. Some have higher bails than others. But I, I would also argue that you don't just wake up one morning and decide, hey, what are we going to do today? We we can go, you know, play some basketball at the rec center, or we can we can go to a movie, or you know, we can go hang out at the mall, or you know, we can go visit some friends, or whatever. You, you don't wake up one morning and say, I, I know what, let's do. Let's drive out to Waukesha. Hey, you've got your piece. Let's drive out to Waukesha. Let's stick that gun in somebody's face. We'll find a nice car to, to drive around in, and then you know, when the cops try to pull us over, we're going to you know run from that as well. So, I mean, you know, my, my guess is that there's there's probably lengthy criminal contacts, or at least some. Jeff, the message has been sent, do not commit crimes in Waukesha. You will be caught and you will remain in jail until sentenced. No, I don't think the bail is excessive at all. And if I were to send a message to the district attorney, you know, Sue Opper, and the, in Waukesha, and the various court commissioners and the various judges This is where the general public is. Enough is enough. If you have people that are willing to go out and willing to stick guns in people's faces to steal nice cars, you need to recognize that they are dangerous. They are flight risks. They are dangerous to the community, and they need to, in fact, be held. I'm not saying don't give them due process. But we all know what happens, and the Daryl Brooks case is the classic example of that. We all know what happens when you take dangerous people, you put them out on stupid low bail, thank you, John Chisholm, and then you know people end up dying. That that's just kind of the reality of this. And so and this is one of the reasons why I would never be a court commissioner and certainly never be a judge, because I, I wouldn't put up with this. I don't want 
somebody driving through the Waukesha Christmas parade, killing six people and injuring dozens more on a stupid low bail that I've set. I just don't want that to be the case. I don't want to set a stupid low bail for a couple 18-year-olds who decided to drive out to Waukesha and stick guns in people's faces and take their cars because they just felt like doing it. I don't want to wait and give them the opportunity that I release them on a stupid low bail, they're out three days later doing the same darn thing, and this time one of them pulls the trigger and and somebody ends up dead. I don't want to take that chance. And candidly, I think more people in Milwaukee, if they would wake up in Milwaukee County and say, we don't want this happening either, why is it that the only times you get high bail set or if you drive out to Waukesha or Washington County and commit crimes out there or Ozaki County or wherever, you know— why why don't we have judges that protect people in Milwaukee County, like apparently the judges are now willing to protect people in Waukesha County and other places? Very good question. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Mike Spaulding, because you are a better person than me and because you're much more sophisticated in your entertainment choices than I am you're, you're not a big fan of like junk TV like I am like the things like gold rush and stuff like that right no no okay no. You ever watch deadliest catch yes okay so you know what deadliest catch oh yeah is, absolutely right? like I like that one okay well it, get used to it because it might be disappearing I don't know if you saw it. deadliest catch is of course <clears throat> one of the long-running uh, shows on I believe it's Discovery Channel mm-hmm. and and what they do is they focus on these fishermen in the Bering Sea who go out and catch crab and it's um, it's I mean if nothing else I guess one of the reasons I like to watch deadliest catch is because it, we, we can have we have good days and bad days here with what we do. But at the end of at the end of the day, I, I'm not out on some crab boat at two o'clock in the morning in 25 degree below zero weather in a blizzard trying to haul crab pots. You know, it, it makes you feel good about your your life choices. Yeah, ducking the, uh, the the big giant cage that swings across the the deck of the boat. Yeah, in in an right. ice storm. Yeah, that's it right. puts things in perspective. And, and absolutely, ho- and hoping that the generator that's powering the boat doesn't go out, so that all of a sudden you're without power like hundreds of miles yeah. from anywhere in the middle of a blizzard. Right. Um, but it, it's it's very, very popular. But I don't know if you saw this. Um, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to bring it back because Alaska has canceled the snow crab season for the first time in history because the population has just of the snow crabs. And that's and, and that's half of the season they have. The, the population of the snow crabs is just it, it's fallen off the, the map. There's like nothing there. And so. Uh, the fisheries have closed, like the red crab fishery closed last year. This year, it's the snow crab. So all these people have all these all this money tied up in boats and stuff. You can't go out and catch snow crabs. Would you watch an abbreviated season of Deadliest Catch where they're not allowed to go actually do the Deadliest Catch? And it's just like these these people that we've come to know, like, like operate find their way through this weird time that they're going to sitting be sitting around deciding if they're going to sell their boats or whatever. That yeah, is. well, I'm sure they could make some sort of you know fun entertainment out of it. But would you would you give it a shot? Six episodes, crabbing on the land or something? <laughs> no, I, no. But I, I, for me, Deadliest Catch has kind of jumped the shark, and I understand I'm mixing my metaphors there and stuff. That's uh, Gold Rush is the one I still like. So what happens to our sn- snow crabs then? Like, are we just not going to get? Uh, well, are they going to go through the roof? Should we invest right now in snow crab futures? Well, you're not going to get them from Alaska because they've closed it for this year. Now I don't know enough to know whether snow crabs 
come from other areas and and whether they're still fishing them up out in, in Russia and they'll, you know, like import them and stuff. I don't know. But, yeah, the cost of like crab legs and stuff is definitely going to go through the roof. Yeah, might have to rethink your Christmas dinner plans maybe if we're, you know, only getting a quarter of the crab legs we thought we were going to get. It's going to be like gasoline prices. Well, there you go. <laughs> exactly. But that's if, if you're a fan of Deadliest Catch, and a lot of people are because it's one of every year, it's one of the highest rated shows on on cable television, it's I don't know what they're going to do this year because, like I say, the, the snow crab season completely canceled. So either the uh, American Pickers guys are going to get uh, big increases in their yearly contracts because Discovery is going to have to find a way to fill hours and hours of programming. That's History Channel. You're mixing oh, okay, up I'm the two. That's, I'm sorry, I'm under the big Discovery umbrella. That's right now, I'm at. History Cha- History Channel is American Pickers and uh, Pawn Stars. There which, you go. Which I admit I'm. I, I'm fascinated by Pawn Stars as well. This is just it's just kind of the way my my mind works. One thing I think we can agree on is is Bar Rescue. I do love Bar Rescue. That's a very guilty pleasure Saturday afternoon in between college football games show for me. I, I love it. Yeah. No? I, I, well, no, I I watched it at the beginning. It kind of it kind of jumped the shark for me because it, it's the same plot over and over again. You know, you've got this failing bar thing, and the guy comes in and he screams at people, and then after you leave. Eighty percent of them fail, anyways. Yeah, because you know it, it just it just they you you, you spend ten thousand dollars and you revamp the bar, but in general, most of the people that are running these things aren't very good businessmen to begin with. And the thing that I always like is you see that and on Restaurant Impossible, and, and the place is filthy. Well, I mean, I, I don't care. I mean, if I was watching on TV and I saw, like, roaches or whatever, I don't care what they did to it. I'm not going back into that place. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. One thing I like to do after it, this is getting on a tangent, it, I'll watch the episode. I immediately go online to, like, the local newspaper, like the Times Picayune if it's in New right. Orleans, and I'll read the review of right after they left and they reopen and everything is grand, and then you look and it's like, oh, they closed seven months later. Well, well, right, and because a lot of times what, what happens is they're so far in the hole. I mean, that's, yeah. you see that with uh, Restaurant Impossible. I, I used to like that as well. But, the, I mean, they're, you're, you're three-quarters of a million dollars in debt. You're just – and you're running a 15-seat restaurant. You're not going to be able to dig out. That's just the reality. But well, – Thanks, and, and you have like nine employees and they're all bad, but you only replace one of them on the show. That's just a recipe for disaster. It is a recipe for disaster. Well, anyhow, if you are a fan of Deadliest Catch, I do not know what they're going to do because there's no no snow crab season this year. All right, let us completely and totally switch gear. By the way, a number of people are texting me saying, are you going to talk about the governor's debate on Friday? Well, no, because... <sighs> I, did I watch it? I did not watch it live. Like I say, I went to the opera, of all things. I thoroughly enjoyed the Florentine Opera's performance of Romeo and Juliet. But I did record the governor's debate, and then I, I came back, and I, I, I did I watched it quickly. Now, I admit I kind of skipped through some of the stuff. But, but here's part of the problem, and I say this with affection towards the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association that, that put on the debate on Friday night. But the, the problem they had with the only governor's debate was the same problem that they had— with the the Senate debate, there were too many reporters and and not enough interaction between the candidates. the The best candidate debates are the ones where you have a moderator who then is just really there as like the referee in the boxing match, and you let the candidates go back and forth, you know, after after each other. I I, I thought I thought Tony Evers was. Struggling, I, I think I thought Tim Michaels resorted too much to kind of like the platitudes. I thought Tony Evers w- was really struggling, like grasping for words sometimes and things like that. But but all this kind of gets lost because there, there's not enough interaction. So I I, I don't I, I, my my take on 
the one governor's debate is the same as my take on the two U.S. Senate debates, and that is that they're, they're out of the way now, but they didn't change any opinions. I mean, if you went into that undecided, you come out undecided. There's very few undecided voters. If you went into the Senate debate fa- favoring Barnes or Ron Johnson, it, nothing you saw there changed your mind. And the same thing true with the Evers you know, Michael's debate, there, there was nothing there that would change your mind, meaning, you know, we're, we're looking at just a sprint. What's the election is three weeks from tomorrow. We're looking at a sprint to the finish line. We're looking at, at lots of TV advertising, particularly in the governor's race. As I've predicted, if these if these numbers continue, and I don't see any reason to believe that they won't, showing Ron Johnson with a significant lead over Mandela Barnes. What I think is going to happen is I think you're going to see some of the national Democrat money get pulled out of Wisconsin and not all of it, but get pulled out of Wisconsin and spent on, you know, in some of the states that are perhaps where there's more of a chance for a pickup, like more of a chance of a, of a Democratic seat hold. And for example, like Nevada or something like that, but I could be wrong, but the governor's race is going to be extremely close. There's just no question about it right now. The momentum appears to be on the Michael side, but it's that that's, you know, you know, six, one, half dozen, another, you know, and just pick them right now. So you're going to continue to see lots and lots of advertising there. But I, I wouldn't even know what to say about the debate because we could say, well, did somebody win? And it's just, again, if, if it was your candidate and you happen to watch it, and again, I don't think specifically on the governor's debate, it's a Friday night. You know, I, I doubt that there were too many people that were actually watching it. The format was awful. I hope the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association learns from the mistakes it made this year and two years from now when they're organizing debates, recognizes that the debates really Fewer reporters, more candidates, that more candidates time, that's the way to go. When we come back, well, at least in the mind of some, COVID is still with us. I will explain. We will discuss. Hey, Wisconsin, can you feel it? It's gotten colder outside. It was snowing this morning. The dog looks at me saying, Dad, what is going on here? It's gotten colder outside, which means it's the last. No, actually, this is not. We've extended it for one more week. But it is one of the final weeks for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring Kohler Services. You can visit their website at KohlerServicesWI.com to find out more. This is really a great business. We'll be telling you more about them all week. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. All right. um, Last weekend, I went to Las Vegas, and I... I'm trying to think. I think this was the first time I was on an airplane since the um, since the federal government dropped the mask mandates. And I think it was the first time I, I'd been on there. But it, but it's still optional, you know. And if, if you wanna if you wanna wear a mask in an airport, you can wear a mask in the airport. If you wanna wear a mask on a plane, you can. I would estimate that when I was at the airport, m- maybe. Maybe 2% of the people were wearing masks, maybe 2%. And, and again, then I'm, I'm approximating. So out of every 100 people, maybe there were, were two. Um, on our airplane, I, I made the point of, of looking, and it, it, it's kind of imprecise because, you know, we got on and I was watching the people. I was trying to watch the people who were standing in line. You know, it, we were on Southwest, so I was trying to watch the people. I, I would say 
there, there certainly weren't more than two or three percent that were wearing masks. So for all intents and purposes, I think pretty much everybody is over the whole masking requirement, at least if you are given the opportunity to to voluntarily wear masks. Now, I think there there's a lot of reasons behind this, including the fact that while COVID is, is never going to go away, you now have... You, you now have, the, we've got the vaccinations, and then you've got the booster, and then you've got the booster, and then you've got the latest booster, the one that I got a week ago today. So pretty much everybody who wants to get the boosters get the boosters. And I think these new variations, these new strains, while they can have serious consequences for a certain limited number of people, just like the flu. You know, if the flu hits somebody who's, uh, again, you know, got an immune-compromised system, it can have a bad reaction. For most people, not everybody, but for most people, if you get COVID nowadays after having the availability of the vaccinations and things like that, the chances are you're not going to be severely ill. You might be uncomfortable. Um, but you're not going to be, you know, in the hospital or, or in the morgue, which is, I mean, it, it's a good, it's a reason why you get vaccinated. But my general sense is that people are, are over, you know, the, the COVID concern and are back to living their normal lives, which isn't to say that COVID has gone away because one of the things we know is that COVID's never going to go away. Well, I was thinking about this because the, the latest news out of Milwaukee County is the, the bus system, which has done which had i think as of um what august or something april the well, april is when the airlines dropped the requirement that you wear masks the mask requirement was dropped in late september so to ride a milwaukee county bus you you no longer needed to you know wear a mask they have now dropped that dropping and they have reinstated the mask requirement so if you want to ride a county bus you've got to wear a mask in addition, the county executive has reinstated the mask requirement at the courthouse complex for all visitors, employees, volunteers, and contractors. So if you're going into the Milwaukee County Courthouse or the safety building, etc., you now, by order, have to wear a mask again. And that's because um, the, the COVID numbers in Milwaukee County are, you know, going up. The Center for Disease Control has upgraded to medium the risk level um, for for COVID. So the response is, we're going to make people wear their masks. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, obviously, it's it's one thing if you, if you say you're going to do this on the buses and you're going to say you're going to do it on the courthouse, but at the same time, if if you're not doing that anywhere else, if if no other businesses are requiring masks, the, I guess the question to me becomes, is this virtue signaling? Are you really going to accomplish anything by saying, okay, if you want to wear ride on the bus, you, you've got to wear a mask. If you want to go into the courthouse, you've got to wear a mask. But nobody anywhere else is going to be required to do that. If it's just a couple of these isolated pockets— are we really accomplishing anything? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Are you over COVID as, as this pandemic and the idea of hit and miss requirements for people to wear masks? You've got to wear a mask if you're on the bus in Milwaukee County. Does that really accomplish anything big picture? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. 
I must have slowed down my voice on that last uh, spot with Kohler to try to get it in the time limit. Why do you think it's good, Doug? 855-616-1620. Okay, so Milwaukee County has reinstated its mask requirements if you want to ride on the bus or if you want to go into the courthouse. Nowhere else has mask requirements. And my sense is, just from going around, that almost nobody is wearing masks. So the question becomes... All right. Do do is it time to bring back the the mask requirement? One of our texters is saying, "Well, what, what's what's wrong with this? I mean, it, it's winter. Maybe we should all be back wearing masks." Sorry, I, I just think that 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 idea that the bus has has left on that one. Jeff, I am over masking. I'm up to date with my shops, and I don't think masking on buses and courthouses will make much of a difference. Let's talk to Danny in Janesville. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, uh, I was telling your call screener that I, I think this is just an, another case of Michael Crichton, where if you look at Jurassic Park or any of the other books that he wrote, everything shows the illusion of security, and that's I think that's all the new mask mandates are doing is giving the illusion of public safety, and like I told him, you've got people that are going out living their lives and getting together with their families and large parties and going out to bars and doing all that stuff. But then for the hour or two that they're in the courthouse, oh, they're going to mask up and everybody's right. happy. Right. Or, and I think, like I said, I think it's an illusion. Well, I, I think it thanks. I mean, I guess that that's that's my point. And, and I mean, I wonder again, and I've, I've always said this. If people want to wear masks, wear masks. That, that That's OK. But this idea that we're going to mandate this in especially in these like small little niches and we think it's going to make a difference. Jeff, I rode the 51 bus twice yesterday from Oklahoma and 60th to Howell and Oklahoma. Walked to a bar, watched the Packer game, took the bus back home. Out of the 15 riders on the way there, two or three had masks. The driver did not. There were no free masks. If you didn't have one or wanted one, similar on the way back. Obviously, even the MCTS employees are over this as well. Plus, I would add to the texter, my guess is when you went to the crowded bar and you sat there, nobody was wearing a mask. And that, that would be my guess. None of the employees were wearing masks. So it raises the question of what are we really accomplishing by requiring that mask mandate? Now, if you want to wear a mask because you think it's going to, for whatever reasons, I, I don't have any problem with that at all. But this idea that we're now going to try to make people go back to wearing masks, I, I'm sorry. To me, I think it is just an exercise in complete and total futility. It is virtue signaling in the extreme. And maybe what we should be doing is encouraging everybody to get their vaccinations and their boosters and all those things. Here's a text. Jeff, I sat in the atrium at the Packers game yesterday at Lambeau Field for about an hour and a half of the thousands of people that walked past me, only two had masks. So I guess I, 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 I say to the county executive, okay, what, what is this really about? People are just not wearing the masks. And you can say, okay, for the handful of people who ride buses, you can make them ride the bus. But what, what difference does it make if when they get to wherever they're going, nobody is wearing masks, including them? Or if you're going into the courthouse, you can say you have to wear masks. But what are you accomplishing? And the answer is you're really not accomplishing anything except trying to, again, virtue signal and all right, is, aren't we more significant? Aren't the issues more significant than just virtue signaling anymore? Okay, when we come back, all right, your toothpaste. Are you willing to change? It's a bigger discussion. I'll explain. We'll discuss. So very glad to have you with us. 
If you ever read anything about like like TV ratings or radio ratings to an extent, a lot of times you, you always see the phrase in the highly coveted demographic of 25 to 54. You know, because, of course, when, when you look at ratings, whether again with TV or radio, there's they break it down in all sorts of different ways. You know, you can they can tell you supposedly how many left-handed women between the ages of 31 and 36 that, that listen to or, or watch a particular program. But one of the things is they always say the highly coveted advertiser demographic of 25 to 54. And you you might think, well, sometimes that doesn't make any sense because actually in many cases it's people older than 54 that that have more disposable income. You know, you've reached a point in life where you're starting, the, the kids are gone, you're starting to think about things like travel, you've got more money to spend, all that sort of stuff. You've reached a point in your career where you're, you're in your higher earning capacity. But, and so I, I know a lot of people think, wait, I'm 55 years old. What are they telling me? I've, I've aged out of the, the key demographic. Well, the, one of the reasons, and, and maybe the principal reason that people do this, is because our buying habits get locked in earlier on in life. And by the time you reach a certain age, you're pretty much locked in. For example, I use Colgate toothpaste, okay? I grew up using Colgate toothpaste. It's not to say if the dentist doesn't give me a thing, a crest for free or something, I might not use it. But if I'm in the store, I'm buying Colgate toothpaste. And it doesn't matter how much advertising that crest runs. I'm in all likelihood, I'm not going to switch. Breakfast cereal, the same sort of thing. i I mean, I, I like what I like. I mean, I for, for breakfast, when I'm having breakfast cereal, it's either wheat checks or sometimes it's Cheerios, and maybe occasionally I might just go absolutely hog wild and, and have some special K or something like that. But I'm I'm not in that target demographic. When I see a cereal ad, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You can advertise Fruit Loops or Sugar Smacks or all that sort of stuff. It, it's I, I'm I'm locked in. I have I'm not going to switch the cereal that I own. So that's why you have a lot of the soda is another thing. Okay, I like Diet Coke, right? So that's the deal. You know, I, you can you can run all the great Pepsi ads that you want. It, I'm I'm not going to you know buy Diet Pepsi. Now, if I'm at a place where I want a Diet Coke, a Diet Soda, and and that's all they have, I mean, I'll drink it. But I'm not going to go to the grocery store and buy Diet Pepsi. Nothing nothing wrong with Diet Pepsi. I just don't care for it. So. The, those you get to a certain point in your life where the the advertisers know that people's choices are kind of locked in and no amount of advertising is going to sway that i mean you see that with political advertising i mean my guess is that 97 98% of the people who are going to vote have already made up their minds. I, I mean, I, I just I don't get the sense that there's this this great undecided amount of voters out there. Well, the, the candidates still have to run ads because in a state like Wisconsin, all right, if there's a sudden movement of those few undecided voters that are out there, that's important. And in addition, you got to run ads because your supporters want to hear your ads. And if all of a sudden you're you're not running as many ads or whatever, that sends a subliminal message to your supporters that the the campaign is struggling. So that that's why you have to keep running ads. But as far as trying to change a brand preference or something, as you get older, it, it doesn't happen, or or does it? And this is there's a fascinating story in today's Wall Street Journal about this that I want to discuss with you. We are all struggling with the what's happened in the economy over the last year. 
if you've looked at your 401k statements or you've looked at your IRAs or you've looked at your you know, individual brokerage accounts or whatever, chances are it's quite a bit less. I mean, I think, I think it would be fair to say on average, you know, you have, you know, 20% less probably than you did, you know, a, a year ago. And on top of that, which makes it even worse, with inflation, not only do you have less in, in hard dollars. If you were really proud of yourself, you'd saved a million dollars, okay, for your retirement. You know, now that's down to seven hundred and fifty or eight hundred thousand, which is a significant drop if you were trying to you saved all your life, hey, I've got a million dollars, this is great. Well now, you know, twenty percent, twenty-five percent of that is gone. And on top of that, it's the double whammy. You're losing value in your, your savings accounts, your, your HSAs or whatever. And on top of that, the cost of, of buying stuff is up. You know, it's costing, what were the numbers, 8.2% more last month than it did 8.2% a, a year ago last month, you know, which is, is significant. And I don't have to tell you about what's going on with gasoline prices and all those different types of, of things. So people are trying to figure out how to make ends meet and and trying to to cut back one of the ways that people could cut back is they could shift their brand preferences so for example if you were let, let's say let's say you were somebody who you love tide detergent okay and you you know you you've been you know using tide detergent for the last 30 years and you just go into the store and you grab Tide. That's what you do. Or maybe it's Pampers diapers or maybe it's Gillette razors. This is, you know, you, you just grab them because you're brand loyal. This is what you've been using. Well, one of the issues is whether these name brands, whether people, given what's going on with inflation and stuff, are, are simply going to say, hey, a way I can save money is I, I don't Maybe I, I love Tide, but maybe I'm not going to buy Tide anymore. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, switch to Brand X. You know, the, I'm going to find some generic and I'm going to switch over to it. I'm going to find the generic diapers. I'm going to, you know, stop using the Gillette razor blades. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, shift over to, to something else. I'm going to stop buying my preferred beer, or my preferred whiskey or whatever, and I'm going to switch over to brand X. I'm going to try to go to generics. And a lot of the companies that have spent their entire decades building up that brand loyalty are, are, now, are now fighting that. And they're actually just getting ready to run out what's being described as star-studded campaigns, heavy advertising campaigns designed to stop you from from switching to the generic to keep using Tide to keep using you know the Gillette razor blades to keep using the Pampers disposable diapers our number is 855-616-1620 which is the WTMJ talk and text line here's my question are given what's going on with prices are you still brand loyal or are you looking for alternatives gee maybe i don't need to keep using Tide Maybe I don't need to use, um, you know, that, that maybe I don't need to go in and, and buy Diet Coke. Maybe what I can do is I can find some sort of off-brand or something that, that's cheaper. Do you find yourself switching away from some of these products that you have used for years and years simply because they cost more than the generics? Or, you know, Procter & Gamble, for example, is betting that, hey, brand loyalty is going to win out. 
What's going on? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, Procter & Gamble, which... I mean, they make like Tide detergent, Crest toothpaste, Dawn dish soap, Pampers diapers. They are saying that even in this era of high inflation, so far, they are seeing that most of, not all, but most of their customers are remaining brand loyal, and they're not switching to like off brands or generics or things like that. I'm wondering, is that how it's playing out in in the real world? Because if the cost of something has gone up dramatically, I mean, one of the ways you can do it is, okay, well, maybe I don't need Crest toothpaste, or maybe I don't need Gillette razors, or maybe I don't need Tide detergent. Maybe I can do something else. But it, it's tough for people to switch because, in general, we're, we're very, we're typically, most of us are, are built into our brands. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Craig in Horicon. Craig, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh I, I, I got to say, really, it's not so much the brand loyalty, it's the brand quality. And, and I don't know, you know, you said you're a Diet Coke fan. I'm the same way. Uh, yes, uh, here in Dodge County, Pepsi products are half the price. But right. you know what? There's twice the uh, quantity in the stores. People are still buying the Coke. Yeah. Uh, you know, toilet paper, you can't go with a, a cheap brand. Well, that that's a great, you know, uh, you Craig. Know, that's a great. I mean, that's a great example. Thing. No, no, thanks for. I mean, that. I mean, toilet paper is 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 a great example. You can, I don't know. There's, <laughs> let's see. There are things. There are some things that you know you might be willing to cut corners on, and there's other things that you're not. And I, I mean, I think toilet paper would be a good example of that. Like I say, so far Procter and Gamble is saying that they they haven't seen a huge erosion. And that people are willing to pay the, the the higher prices, and I don't know. I guess that's the question: Is it brand loyalty? Is it like you're saying, Craig? Is is it because of of the quality that's there? Um, I and and will it continue if prices you know don't come down anytime soon? And it doesn't look like they're going to come down anytime soon. Let's talk to Eric and Racine. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how's it going? Good. Um, have you um, started switching? Um, yeah, actually, about a couple of years ago, and I found this deal by just going to the Seven Mile Fair, and it's phenomenal, and I've been using them ever since. Um, normally, a bottle of Tide, if you really want to get your big stuff, is like twenty bucks. I mean, that's that's crazy. Um, I can actually go into Seven Mile Fair, find the uh, detergent dealers and mm-hmm. um, fabric software guys, and I can buy a five-gallon pail of detergent. For seventy bucks, and that five-gallon pail lasts me almost a year and a half mm-hmm. with detergent and fabric softener. Seventy-five, seventy-eight bucks a pail, and you got a year and a half, depending on how much laundry you do. And uh, soap is still a commercial-grade uh, quality product. Well, that was going to be my question. Um, do you find that stuff works as well as like like Tide or, or something like that? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, obviously, some stuff you don't skimp on, like uh, toilet paper. Yeah. I, I won't. I'm sorry. I won't start wiping myself with sandpaper. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's just wrong. No, I think so. Well, I mean, I think there there are those things, and that's. I mean, like one of our texters is saying, you know, that they they, they used um, what dish soap did they use? They used uh, they used Dawn dish soap, 
And they said they, they tried one of the generic things, and it just didn't work anywhere near as well. And even though it was less money, they, they ended up going back to that. That's always the thing. Jeff, my husband, likes vodka and V8 juice. He tried store brand and just said it was a big no. Kind of like my category of kind of like life is too, you know, um, short. Jeff, with what is going on in the economy, I'm definitely not brand loyal anymore. We do most of our shopping. <clears throat> when we do most of our shopping, um, we, we go to a, a pick and save or a festival or even a Walmart, but we're getting to the point where we're just, uh, we're going to start shopping at Aldi's because it's cheaper. Just end of, of story. Um, that's going to be it. Um, Jeff, I have to use a, a sensitive tooth toothpaste. I will not switch because I'm afraid that I'll be in pain if I switch to cheaper. Well, that's always one of the factors that are, you know, out there. Um, Jeff, I had to work, I, I had to work at a major ice cream maker's facility. They also had a contract for Walmart's generic brand. Guess what? The same brand named chocolate ice cream was the same stuff that was the Walmart brand. They just changed the package. Well, I think there's, uh, you know, an element of that that's there. Um, Jeff, corporate products are at a 50-year high. Those companies are laughing all the way to the bank. Um, Jeff, I find it's the quality of the product. I'm 66, and I've anytime I've tried to switch over the years, I'm always disappointed in the quality. Um, Jeff, my whole life we have purchased many items that are generic, and we have 20 to 30% savings with many items, meat, cereal, etc., and do not notice the difference. Um, Jeff, I'm in the beverage industry as a salesman, and all I see is brand loyalty. I have a number of brands that are many dollars cheaper, but I haven't seen any uptick compared to other well-known brands. Yeah, see, and that's I, I and that goes back to how we started this conversation, which was again. One of the reasons you, you always hear that, well, it's the coveted 25 to 54 advertising demographic is by the time you reach a certain point, you, you, you've you locked in on your brands. You, you like what you like, and you are reluctant to change from that. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that they that they, they won't change, but, I mean, whether it's soda or whether it's it's bourbon and stuff like that, I mean, I, I, I know what I like. And I guess if it was a certain point where I, I, I couldn't afford to buy it or whatever, you know, maybe I, I'd switch. And, I, and I'm, I don't know, maybe I, I can't tell the difference between the, the bourbon that I buy and if I, I bought a cheaper bourbon, I'd like to think I could. But, but I, I don't want to have to do that. And that's, that's what a lot of these big companies know, that they've built that brand loyalty that's out there. And at least so far, at least so far, it doesn't appear that inflation, the spiral of that— is causing at least a huge number of people to switch and say, okay, well, I'm used to drinking X type of Chardonnay wine, and now I'm going to switch to Y Chardonnay because they like X Chardonnay, and they're willing to, even if it, maybe they're going to, maybe they'll drink it a little bit less, but they still like what they like, and they want it. Here's a text. Jeff, I love my Thomas bagels and English muffins. They've gone up from $2 to $4 a bag. For the last 10 years, I've tried other brands out there, but nothing compares, so I go ahead and spend the $4, which I agree with dramatically. And then, my favorite text of the day, Jeff, life is just too short for bad bourbon, <laughs> to which I, the, the congregation says, amen. I, you know, but, it's, but again, it's, 
it's there are certain priorities that are out there. Hey, I've been getting a number of of texts from people saying that they've been having some problems with our, who listen over the internet, who listen via our stream, and I know our engineers are aware of that. And somebody's saying, "Oh, it's gotten a lot better," but I know, I, you know, we're we're still working out bugs with our new place and things like that. But um, if people are saying that they're having trouble with the stream or stuff like that, we are we are mindful of that. Our engineers are aware of it, and I think they, at least based on some of my latest reports, they they might have fig- uh, fixed that because, of course. You know, it doesn't matter how you find us, whether it's, you know, conventional over over the air systems or whether you're listening on the Internet. We want to make sure that you are, in fact, listening. All right. When we come back, why would anybody watch this movie? I will explain. We will discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. One of the, the, the good things about, you know, now that we're all together, our ESPN station and our, the, the Truth, our you know, urban radio station and TMJ here, is that you walk out in the halls during the breaks and you run into people. I, I ran into my, my friend Steve, the Homer True, of course, who's on our ESPN station. And Steve and I go back a, a long way. Um, we used to, years and years ago, we used to work at a radio station up the dial. And I, I ran into Steve. And the first thing he says to me is, so what do you, what do you think the Packers' final record is going to be? And I said, I don't know, you know, maybe maybe nine and eight. And he said, well, he said that here's the thing. I, I still think they're going to win 11 or 12 games, but I can't argue with you because I understand nine and eight. That probably makes more sense than what I'm talking about the arguments being. So I thought, OK, well, that, that's it. Now, look, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping Packers figure out a way to turn this around. But boy. That it was just it was ugly two weeks ago against New York, and it was ugly yesterday against New York. And this was supposedly going to be one of the easier parts of their schedule because if you look at some of the teams they're playing, it doesn't appear that it gets much better. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears now. On on Friday's program, every Friday at two thirty, we do Pop Culture Corner, which is where we you know talk about movies or books or or whatever. And because Halloween is coming up in a couple weeks, and because this is the season where you see all the kind of scary movies that are coming out, we, we did a segment on, you know, your favorite scary movie. Now, I, I, freely, I, freely admit that, um, I freely admit that this is one of these deals where I don't, I don't, I'm not a big horror movie fan. I mean, I've seen a bunch of them o- over time, but I'm, I'm not a huge horror movie fan, but because... Candidly, the idea of scaring the bejeepers out of me doesn't do that that much for me. It's just kind of like, eh, you know, I, I don't mind a good action movie or something like that or an historical thing. But I appreciate that there are people who who love to be scared, and and there is a value to that. But at the same time, they're, they're scared, and then they're scared. Now, this is a story out of USA Today. Here's the headline: Terrifier Two has fans vomiting. Here's why this brutal clown slasher movie is so hard to watch. Terrifier 2, this is the review, Terrifier 2 is what nightmares are made of. The horror slasher movie, which centers on the ill-fated resurrection of a sadistic clown named Art, 
was released last weekend to critical acclaim and has earned $2.3 million on just 700 screens. But the dark flick has proven to be a horror for the eyes and the stomach. Fans have taken to social media to share their frightening accounts of seeing Terrifier 2, reporting that people are fainting and vomiting in movie theaters. One of the film's producers even took to Twitter to issue a warning about graphic violence and brutal depiction of horror. And then then it kind of goes on to describe the, the movie and the reaction that people have had. Now, this has happened from, from time to time. You know, it, it, I first remember it happening when the movie The Exorcist came out in the 70s, and it was just so creepy and so freaky that you had all these people thinking that they were possessed by demons. Then there was the movie a number of years ago about the Blair Witch product project, which the, the the thing was, oh, this could have real this could have been true, you know, and it really happened to kids. And that was just kind of a marketing thing. So it's entirely possible that Terrifier 2, this clown slasher movie, isn't as as gross and bloody and gory and disgusting as it seems, and that part of this might just be this, this marketing thing to encourage people to go in and who want to see a movie where they say that people are just getting so freaked out that they're throwing up in, in the movie theater. It, it raises, though, this larger question to me that's out there, which is, why? I, I mean, I, again, I, I understand the, the appeal of horror movies and things like that, but but why? If this you see this headline, Terrifier Two has fans vomiting. It's a brutal clown slasher movie. It's hard to watch. If you see that review, are you going to go see the movie? Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now I understand that there's some people who, are, and maybe this just goes to the to the whole heart of why people love horror movies so much. But there's horror movies, there's that good scare, there's the slasher comes out of the closet and everybody gets the jump and you scream. I get all that. I understand that. But this sounds like it's something a lot more than that. Are these the type of films that would have any sort of appeal to you? And I I mean, I just have to tell you, whether it's on TV for free or whether it's a movie theater, I see Terrifier 2 come up, and I know that the movie is about this stuff. There is no way in God's green earth that I'm going to be watching it. 855-616-1620, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, what is it about these scary movies that attract people, and is this the type of thing, this extreme stuff, that would have any appeal to you? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is WTMJ Talk and Text Line. I, I just, I, I this story, the, the movie is called Terrifier 2, which you probably never heard of, but it's like this intense clown slasher movie that they've they've rolled out in time for Halloween, and it's it's making a bunch of money, but the, the headlines are, Terrifier 2 has fans vomiting, brutal clown slasher movie, hard to watch, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which raises the question to me of, Okay, when when you see these reviews of it's it's brutal and you know why, who's going to spend money to go see it? But a lot of you are. Jeff, we saw this movie last week. This was a classic camp campy slasher film. The acting and plot were so bad it felt like I was watching a train wreck. Um, yeah, Jeff, I remember this is an old horror movie gimmick from the 1950s, 
ambulance on standby, you know, outside, nurse on duty in the lobby, heart attack insurance on sale in the theater, um, lots and lots of fun. Jeff, I got scared of the movie The Omen from the 1970s, um, and I'm still afraid of Doberman Dogs, which was something that was, you know, in there. Jeff, a thing like that has zero appeal to me, but I think the marketing is spot on, drawing in those to whom it appeals while simultaneously warning those who might be uninformed. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I'm a big horror fan, and I have seen the first Terrifier, and I have limits. When I saw this movie, I was glad that I was not eating at the time, um, especially any Italian food. And um, to me, this is going the distance in torture porn, and it, it really takes the fun out of watching horror movies, and I w- do not plan on going to see Terrifier 2. Well, why do you think it, it's making money? Because obviously there, there is a, a subset of horror fans who are out there. I mean, it, I mean, $2.3 million isn't, isn't, a, isn't a big thing, but, I mean, it probably costs 50 bucks to make this movie, so you know they're making a ton of movie, a ton of money on it. Well, it's a, it's a textbook example of torture porn, and some people just like like gore and like seeing different ways that people can be, you know, messed up and dismembered and things like that. Yeah, I think that's that's not me. <laughs> you know, it's just I mean, I I don't. I don't like going to the films to be scared to to begin with because it it will always it it'll be just troubling in general. But a movie about a a mad slasher clown resurrected from whatever who goes off to try to kill kids. I, I just don't get it. Jeff, my husband and I saw Terrifier two last week. It was fantastic. We are true horror fans. The kills are intense. It is not for regular movie fans. Um, this is for true horror fans. I felt that it was absolutely excellent. Jeff, I'm not interested. I don't like um, fright or gore. The um, you know, I think like the Geico horror chainsaw parody ads are enough for me. You know, the ones where why don't we just get in the running car and leave? Um, Jeff, I don't understand, but some people like to watch a car crack. Maybe it's the same curiosity, I guess. Um, yeah, that's it. Jeff, the writing in most romantic comedies makes me sick. Um, some people must have absolutely iron stomach. Um, Jeff, wild horses couldn't drag me to this movie. That's from Denise in Wales. Um, yeah, Jeff, these days it's too easy for someone want to to want to reenact what they see in movies and videos. I think movies like this are not needed. I, well, here, here's where I come down on that. I mean, for for the longest time, you've seen we, we've heard about video games being blamed for violence. And, you know, you, you look at the amount of, for example, car thefts that you have in Milwaukee, and it's, well, it, you've got this game, Grand Theft Auto, which I, 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 I agree that, that some of these games are, are probably certainly not age-appropriate for some of the ones that they're being, for some of the kids that are playing it. But, I mean, the, the, look, the, the bottom line is, I, I don't think that you are suddenly inspired to go out and steal a car or carjack something because you saw it in a video game. I think you know, I think that most people are able to, you know, draw that distinction between this is a video game and this is real life. So I don't necessarily say, oh, just because you saw something in a movie, that means you reenact it, which isn't to say that there might not be some crazy out there somewhere, somehow, who decides to do that. But I just don't believe that that's necessarily going to be the case. But at the same time, I, I don't know how much of this is hype and how much of this is true, but when, when I see a headline, Terrifier 2 has fans vomiting, that tells me that— 
well, I don't know what I'm going to be doing next Friday or Saturday night. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the movies. But if I do, it isn't going to be Terrifier 2. So very glad to have you with us. All right, this is one of our texts. I, I, I love the fact that people are passionate. Hello, Jeff, please notify someone in IT that the online feed isn't working properly. Thank you. That's from Melissa from Pippa in South Carolina. And we All right, we're, we, we will work on that. I know we're hearing a lot of, I know, and see, that's the cool thing. That I know that we have listeners who are all over the country, actually all over the world, who listen and depend on the stream and stuff, and we very much appreciate it. So um, we will make sure our engineers know. Beyond that, it's, I'm not saying it's a higher pay grade. It's just a different pay grade because uh, other once you tell me there's a problem with the stream and things like that, I appreciate it, but there's I, they, they don't let me anywhere near that. As a matter of fact, I sit in this room and I've got this board that's got all these flashing buttons on it, and people look at it and think, oh, that he must really know what he's doing. No, there's only like three buttons that I'm allowed to push, and fourth in an emergency. That's it. Otherwise, all these flashing lights, nah, it's just absolutely past me. Hey, I alluded to this earlier, and I just want to come back to it on a, on a serious note. It, it is it, part of, there's many reasons why we have out-of-control crime around here. There, there's many reasons. Part of it, not the exclusive reason, but part of it is, again, that this, this no-snitching culture that we've talked about from time to time, that this idea that we're, we're not going to step forward because we, 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 do, we don't want to help the police, or you know we we don't want to be seen as a turncoat on our community or or, or whatever. So or we're we're afraid, and I, and I appreciate that that's a factor as well. But the bottom line is there's just a limitation on what police can do, and you know for any for police to be effective, for district attorney's offices to be effective in prosecuting crime or whatever, what you need to have is you need to have cooperation from the community, and if you think that you are doing your neighborhood a favor by not coming forward and not cooperating or not identifying people or things like that, you're, you're, you're just deluding yourself because unless and until you hold people accountable, if, if you don't help the cops get the bad guys off the street, well, what's the surprise? The bad guys are still going to be out on the street, and you might not be a victim today, but you know, chances are you're going to be a victim sooner or later, which brings me to this appalling story from— you know, last week, and it occurred, what, I think a, a week ago tomorrow, you had the, the story of the the woman who had her 12-year-old daughter, and remember they were, like, unloading groceries, and there's a bunch of punks, thugs, use whatever you want, the phrase you want, who are, like, at an abandoned house across the alley, and apparently this was a house where these punks, thugs, whatever, had been, like, stashing stolen cars. It was a vacant house, so it was just kind of like the, the hangout for the, the criminal element. And so the lady and her 12-year-old daughter, they're kind of unloading the, the, the car with groceries. It, it's still a little bit unclear how this all happened, but at some point in time, apparently the, the lady um, you know, confronts the, the, the punks, that are, that are hanging out uh, across the, the way, you know, and dumping stolen cars and stuff. And we don't know exactly what was said to either one. But um, the effect of all this is that what happens is one or more of the people ends up pulling out a, a, a gun. I think it's probably like a semi-automatic handgun and just opening up, firing repeated shots. And the woman, she's wounded, but the, the 12-year-old girl is killed. All right. 
People know who did this. People know who did this. The people that were hanging out at that vac- at that lot, at the abandoned house, they were known in the community. This isn't a, or at least I don't believe it to be, a whodunit. And yet, almost a week later, there's still been no arrests made. You know, the, the DA's office hasn't issued charges. There's not their pictures all over the, the newspapers and things like that and the television like it should be. And I think part of that is because you, you don't have some of the cooperation that you need from the, the neighborhood. Lots of people are out there. They know who it was that shot this lady. They know who it was that murdered this, you know, 12-year-old girl. They, they know that. And they, they need to come forward. They need to take the risks that, yeah, they might be identified with this stuff. They need to come forward, and they need to provide whatever information they have so the district attorney's office can issue arrest warrants and the cops can go out and find these murderers. They murdered a 12-year-old girl, for God's sake. And I understand we have this no-snitching culture that's out there, but you got to get past that because if you're willing to murder a 12-year-old girl in cold blood— what else are you willing to do? The community is at risk as long as these people are out on the streets, and you got to get them off the streets, and that means people have to cooperate. I candidly thought that you would have arrests made within the first 24 hours, because like I say, there's so many people out there that either witnessed this or knew who was hanging out at the house or whatever, and the fact that it's now going on a week and we don't have people in custody as of yet, because I know this is a priority for the Milwaukee Police Department, the fact that there aren't people in custody as of yet tells me the community needs to do a better job of coming forward and cooperating, and if part of the reason that the arrests have been delayed this long are because of the no-snitching culture— all I can say to people who have information about this, you got to get over yourselves. You know, when we talk about people not coming forward, some one of our texters reminds me, remember early May? Okay, so now we're hitting, we're in, in mid-October. Remember there was the firebombing of the, the pro-life facility in, Mass, in Madison, and you had the, the group, they call themselves Jane's Revenge, who claimed credit for this, you know, firebombing this place. There haven't been any arrests in that case. It, it, goes, back to, it goes back to May, and you have groups that are bragging about about it. There was all sorts of physical evidence that was left, and there were people that spray-painted things. This, the fact that that happens in May, a firebombing, and again, it's but for the grace of God that somebody doesn't die. Now we're here, here in October, and you know, five months later, you, you still don't have any charges brought. It, it's the frustration, and I don't know if in that case it's because it's not a priority. I don't know if it's because people who know who did it are unwilling to come forward or whatever, but the point of the matter is, if we're going to have a civilized society, what you need is people who know when people are firebombing pro-life centers or murdering 12-year-old girls girls in cold blood, what they, they need to step forward and, and cooperate. Otherwise, it's just Lord of the Flies. When we come back, all right, Milwaukee won't be the first, but it looks like somebody is ready to sue. I will explain. We will discuss. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Milwaukee threatened to do this, but it looks like St. Louis is going to beat them to it. Now, as we've talked about repeatedly, um, there, there is a car theft epidemic in, in this city. And, and actually, it, it, it's two types of cars that are they're getting stolen primarily, Hyundai's and, and Kia's. And it's not to say that other cars don't get stolen, but Hyundai's and Kia's get stolen at record numbers. And it's because 
without going into any detail at all as to how you do this, that there are some late model cars where you, you can you can actually hot wire them once you get in and you can drive them away without having the key fob. Most cars nowadays, at least the, the newer cars, you need to have the key fob to operate them. So if you don't have the key fob, well, you're, you're kind of out of luck. Now, on some of this year, I think on the new model years, they've they've rectified this, but that th- it kind of is what it is. So if you drive a Hyundai or Kia, Kia, you you know that you are at particular risk. And I I, I forget what the numbers are. Maybe sixty percent of the car thefts are those two types of cars. Well, there's two ways that you can look at this. One is that it's the fault of the car manufacturer because they made the cars too easy to steal. Now, the other argument would be, well, it really has nothing to do with the car manufacturers. The problem is you have all these people out there that are stealing cars. And I've always, I've always said this. Maybe it's just how you're brought up. But, you know, when I was 17 years old, I could be walking down the street. If I saw an unlocked car running, unattended, with Christmas presents in the back seat of the car, it wouldn't have occurred to me to get into it and drive away. Well, nowadays, we, we know that things are different. If you leave your car running in the driveway and it's unlocked, plan on it being stolen within a couple within a matter of moments. But this is the next step. You can leave your car locked. You can take your keys with you. But again, because the thieves, because some of these bad guys know that there's ways that they can get in there and in a matter of moments they can kind of get the thing running and drive off, they're they're stealing Kias and Hyundai's. So there were two aldermen in Milwaukee who decided that rather than confronting which what I believe is the underlying problem, which is you've got these car thefts that are out there and people stealing cars with no fear of consequences. All right, they came up with the idea that, no, it's the fault of the manufacturers, which to me is like saying, huh, somebody just broke into your your house because you didn't lock your garage door, and so it's your fault because you didn't lock the garage door. Now, I happen to believe that it's the fault of the, the bad guys, but there's two different ways to approach that. So anyhow, in Milwaukee, these two aldermen were talking about, well, well maybe we should file a lawsuit against Hyundai, Hyundai, Hyundai and Kia, to which my response was, why don't you start with let's, let, let's prosecute and convict the punks that are stealing the cars? Well, all right, St. Louis is beating us. Here's the story. Car thefts have skyrocketed in St. Louis in recent months, and city leadership is now— threatening lawsuits against Kia and Hyundai for an alleged defect that makes some makes of the cars easier to steal. And then what they're having, what they're seeing in, in St. Louis is that the number of auto thefts have doubled this year from last year. St. Louis is starting to experience now what we really hit big time, you know, last year. And so now you've got the city leaders, which are threatening to sue these two car manufacturers because they have teenagers as young as 13 um, who are destroying property, endangering city drivers themselves, and in some cases committing violent felonies. So the argument is we're going to sue the auto manufacturer because, uh, again, it's easier to steal these type of automobiles than it is to steal other types of automobiles. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I, I understand that we're always looking to try to blame someone else. And I understand that rather than acknowledging that we have a problem 
with a criminal element, particularly a young criminal element, that is completely out of control, and we don't know what to do with them, and we were reluctant for whatever reasons to, I don't know, send them away. We're reluctant to incarcerate them. We're reluctant to hold them accountable. So I understand that there's always this appeal saying, okay, let, let's, let's find somebody else to blame. But at its heart, I guess my question is, who's responsible at the end of the day for the, these auto thefts? Is it the bad guys? Is it the punk juveniles? Is it them, or is it the automakers because, well, maybe they should have toughened up the standards so that they made it a little bit harder to steal? Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I had a lighted Christmas Snoopy display stolen from the front of my house one year. Can I sue the manufacturer? Please start putting the blame where it belongs on the criminals. For your information, you're making my head explode once again. Yeah, I know the feeling. Uh, Jeff, oh, please, it's the person stealing the cars that need to be punished. Blaming the car company is ridiculous. It's just making excuses for criminal behavior and, and nothing else. Jeff, it's the criminals for sure. Can I start robbing banks, um, then sue the banks because, you know, they have the, they have the cash that's, that's in them? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand all that. Now, some people are saying, well, you know, cars are, are made occasionally with defects. And yeah, I, I, and I understand that. I mean, if this is a deal where, for example, you had some of the, the cars, like I think it was the Saturn or whatever, it was made with the, the car and it was like a plastic part in the ignition. And when you turn on the key, it, it would occasionally give way. And the, so the car would, <clears throat> would shift from running on the freeway and all of a sudden it would stall out. I understand that that's, that is a defect in, in design. I mean, you've had some um, situations. I mean, Ford Pinto was one of the. I remember Ford Pintos. My roommate in college had one of those. Well, they had the they had the gas tank positioned in such a way that it was unreasonably exposed during rear end collisions. Okay, so you you do have defective products. I, I get it, but it seems to me that this is completely and totally different than that. The car runs as, as it's intended to do. It's not. This does not have anything to do with the operation of the vehicle. It's simply that you have thieves who have figured out a way to exploit, you know, something in the way these things are, are the, the, that they're manufactured, so they steal the cars. So you're going to blame the car manufacturer? I mean, give me a break. Let's start with Patty. Patty in Oak Creek, good afternoon. Jeff, how are you doing today? Good. What do you think? Listen, this is ridiculous. Okay, like you, like all those people just said, what are you going to go after people um, that break into a house because their door, whatever it is? Right. They have to go out to uh, these these people that are doing these these little shysters. I'm being nice about that. They got to go after the parents. That's what they need to do. Go after the parents. You know that thing at night where they're like it's ten o'clock. Do you know where your children are? How <laughs> yeah. many people actually know where their children are? Do you but- know what I mean? So, and the kids are you know they can't prosecute them, can't do what they need to do. Because they're young, so guess what? Who who brought those children into this world? Their parents go after them. Patty, thanks. So well, you know, it is, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It, it is it is interesting that you know you were talking about the you you were talking about the like the the curfews and stuff. I was doing this story story earlier from what was it two nights ago or whatever. You, you have four kids. 
none of them over the age of 16, that are involved in an attempted armed robbery that flee from the cops. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, I, I still remember after we had the shooting in the area of the Deer District a while back, remember we had this press conference and we had the police chief and we had the mayor and everybody was going to talk about enforcing the curfews. Well, you know, and I understand. I mean, I understand that there's so much crime going on. It's tough to enforce the curfews. But then why do we even bother with it? Let's talk to Andrew in Pewaukee. Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, great topic. I mean, it's with it, it's it goes along the same lines of with guns. You know what? We're we're starting to blame the gun you know gun manufacturers for these gun gun shootings and whatnot like that. It's like yeah, blame the people that are doing it. It's not the guns that are doing. it. You can put a gun next to your door, sit there all day. It's not going to shoot anybody. Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, thank, I mean, thanks for call. That, that's, I think, I, I think that's a good parallel that's there. Now, you know, with, with the gun manufacturers, the, you know, some of the arguments are that, you know, they're making it too easy to get into the wrong hands and stuff like that. But this is, this is an even more fundamental thing. These are not defective automobiles. These are cars that run like they're intended. It's just that, okay, people have figured out a way to steal them, so suddenly it's the auto manufacturer's fault? I mean, give me a break. Here's a text, Jeff. This is so funny to me. Hyundai and Kia make cars that might lack a little bit of technology, but they can sell them um, less expensively, and which, you know, many people can afford to buy. So now, instead of addressing the criminals that steal the cars, we're going to go ahead and sue people that make those cars affordable for you know, many, many people. It doesn't make any sense. Go ahead, add all kinds of technology, make the cars more expensive, and then people of lesser means won't have anything to buy or they won't be able to afford it. Well, I think, you know, that's an element of this as well that's out there. But we're so reluctant to, again, hold people accountable for this stuff. And I just, as we try to pass the buck when it comes to blame, you do wonder where this all ends. I mean, is it, if you leave, I don't know, you leave your lawn, you're cutting your grass in the middle of summer, and you leave your lawnmower out in the front yard while you you run in to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water or iced tea or whatever, and you come back and the lawnmower is gone, is it your fault that you left the lawnmower unintended in your front yard and you made it an easy target for somebody to steal? Or is it the fact that, oh, you've got these criminals that are out there that are stealing anything that's not nailed down and they're looking for targets of opportunity? And, I mean, I think my argument would be it's clearly the people that are out there that they're stealing all this stuff. And, look, here's what's going to happen. Because car theft has become such a game, I I promise you, I bet you dollars to donuts, that what's going to happen here is— even after this auto manufacturer tightens things up, and and, and they will, they're already doing that, and they're going to raise the price of cars just a little bit, so you have this added element of security. Do you think for one minute that that is going to substantially reduce the number of car thefts? Do you think the Kia boys are suddenly going to stop stealing cars? No. All they're going to do is they're going to expand their horizons. They're going to say, okay, well, it's not quite as easy to steal this type of car, so now we're going to be the Acura boys, or now we're going to be the Chevy boys, or or whatever, and they're going to find different ways, because the truth is there's ways that you can get around all this stuff, or even worse— Even worse, you're going to see more of these armed carjackings that go on. 
for example, the story we talked about earlier today, that that's what happened. These guys out in Waukesha who tried to steal the car, they, they carjacked a guy at gunpoint. But what happened was they weren't in a situation where they, they didn't get the key fob out of the guy's pocket, so they weren't able to drive the car. Well, now what you're going to see, this mission that's going to be there, it's going to be, all right, well, you know, we want to steal the cars, but instead of just breaking into the unattended car, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get the key fob. So all you ladies that are out there, when you're getting into your car with your purse, you know, wait for the guy to come up and stick the gun at your head. That is until we address the underlying problem and get criminals off the street, that is what's going to happen. But it's simpler to just, okay, we're going to sue the manufacturers. Give me a break. 